Welcome to Not Work Storytelling. This is the show where we untangle our myths and reweave our stories, one ancient tale at a time. I'm your host and lead storyteller, Marisa Gowdy. I'm a myth worker, a story healer, a coach for writers and creative entrepreneurs, and the author of The Sovereignty Knot, A Woman's Way to Freedom, Power, Love, and Magic. If you love what you hear and want to support the show as we enter our third season, I'd be so grateful if you become a paid subscriber on Substack. In my newsletter, Myth is Medicine, you'll receive bonus content related to the stories on the show and deep dives into how mythology and folklore can help the individual and the collective in the present moment and beyond. There's a link in the show notes to follow Myth is Medicine on Substack. Or you can simply visit mythismedicine.substack.com. Before we explore this week's story, I have a question for you. What about your stories? Whether it's a book project that wants to be birthed, deep, authentic writing to support your business, or a personal creative project you can't quite name yet, I'm here to support your process and help you get your words onto the page and into the world. I work with folks who are writing memoirs, chronicles of the spiritual journey, and books that explore healing and the imagination, even as they explore the toughest truths of life. I support entrepreneurs, especially coaches and therapists in private practice, who wish to weave their personal experiences with their professional knowledge and wisdom. Do you want to build a writing practice and develop the ideas you know you must share? Visit my website, marisagowdy.com, to learn more about my writing coaching services and set up a free 30-minute consultation. Season 3, Episode 15, The Cauldron of Inspiration. I'm going to start with a story for Mother's Day that gives us a chance to consider all the magic that we've added to the Knotwork Cauldron this season. Caridwin of Wales was a powerful sorceress with a hand for potions and a ferocious amount of mother love. She was a goddess, a sorceress, a white witch. It all depended on whose story you heard. She was a shapeshifter herself. She could give that gift to others, sometimes. She gave birth to a beautiful daughter and a terribly ugly son. It didn't seem fair that one child should be so gorgeous and the other so ill-favored. Plus, Caridwin's husband was a powerful man. They were the type of couple who expected children who could fit the society mold. She was inspired by maternal devotion and the pursuit of the right image. You can decide which was her primary motivation. Now, Caridwen had a mighty cauldron in which she could brew up magic. She decided to whip up a potion to offer her son what genetics failed to do. It would bestow the gift of beauty, but more importantly, It would bestow the gift of inspiration, the gift of Awen, too. It would take a year and a day for the potion to steep. Caridwin tasked an old blind man with stoking the fire, and a servant boy named Gwian was tasked with stirring the bubbling liquid in the cauldron. Now imagine for a moment what it takes to keep a great pot cooking on an open fire for 366 days. In a way, it's just as remarkable as what happened next. Now, just as the elixir was ready, Gwian stirred with a bit too much enthusiasm. Three drops splashed onto his finger. He sucked away the pain, as you would, but that was all it took. Suddenly, Gwian possessed all the knowledge and wisdom and beauty intended for Caridwin's son. 
the rest of the great bubbling pot was instantly turned into the most wicked poison. Guia knew that the sorceress would want his head for this great misdeed, and so he fled. The boy realized his newfound powers immediately. As he ran from the great hearth and dashed out, blinking into the sunshine, he became a hare, all long ears and quivering whiskers and powerful hind legs. But he was right to be worried. The sorceress had her own shape-shifting power. Before he made it across the yard, she became a greyhound. Down the hill they dashed, Gwian almost disappearing into the long green grass of early summer. He thought he might make it to a grove of trees and disappear into some other animal's den, but then they reached the river so very suddenly. In the moment before conscious thought could spark through his hair brain, Gwian became a silver fish. Oh, but Caridwen was right behind him, and her vicious canines transformed to become the even sharper teeth of an otter. She took a great gulp of air, and her long, sleek body became one with the water. Pushing with her great webbed otter feet, she was a whisker away from catching Gwyn, but he leapt from the water and became a songbird. Oh, but that furious mother was right behind him in the form of a mighty hawk. They climbed up and up, both shaking the water from their feathers. Gwyn was young, strong, and terrified, but he was running on fumes. Caridwen had years of imbus flowing in her veins. In one last attempt to save himself, Gwian fell to the earth as a grain of barley into a messy farmyard. But then, Caridwen became a glossy brown hen and ate him up. And that, as one might expect, was that. Except that this is a myth about miraculous cauldrons, magic potions, and an otter that isn't just the cutest creature you've ever seen. This is a story bound to defy expectations. As is the way in myth, if you swallow a magical creature, you tend to birth them into human form nine months later. And that is just what happened. The avenging mother became a deeply reluctant mother-to-be to her own sworn enemy. It seems that a magically begotten child holds fiercely to a mother's womb, regardless of her feelings about it. We can only wonder what it was like for Caridwen to carry the seed of the boy who had robbed her own beloved son of his deliverance. We do know that Caridwen was planning on hating this child even more after he was born. But then, the baby that emerged from her womb was so beautiful, she could not kill him on the spot as she intended. It might be worth pausing a moment and wondering at this obsession with beauty. Does this make the sorceress terribly shallow? Or does beauty in this tale speak of some greater power, some connection to the divine, to the other world? the dance of all creation, perhaps? Huh, no matter. Taken by the unearthly loveliness of this baby boy, Caridwen set the infant into a coracle and pushed him down the river that flowed toward the sea. Caridwen had sewn the newborn into a bag for safekeeping, and then she was going to let the ocean waves decide the baby's fate. I like to imagine she said a few words of protection before vanishing back into her own mythical anonymity. Now, whether it was a mother's prayer or his own charmed fate, the baby washed himself into a new story. Another ill-fated son, this one also blessed and cursed with powerful parents, was at the salmon weir, trying to catch dinner for his father and his companions. The young man's name was Elfin, and he didn't find any fish that day. 
but he did find the leather bag that held the most beautiful child he and his fellow fishermen had ever seen. Now, Elfin wasn't much for kids, but he did exclaim, Behold, the radiant brow! And from then on, this twice-born child would bear the magical name of Taliesin. Now, you may know Taliesin because it was said that he advised King Arthur. He spent time with that other great hero from Welsh folklore, Bran the Blessed, too. It was said that Taliesin's poetry was awen woven into verse. It was said that Taliesin was always most at home in the more-than-human world. It was said that Taliesin took up residence in legend and walked in and out of the greatest tales of many centuries. But then, what else would you expect from a twice-born son of a sorceress who caught the magic of shapeshifting with just three accidental drops from a cauldron that held the secret to poetry, genius, enchantment, inspiration, and that oh-so-elusive creative flow. So, who has a story, a reflection, a collection of words to add to the cauldron? Whenever I gather together a group of writers and creatives, I ask this question. As someone who has long called myself a word witch, the symbol of the cauldron has been important to me. And in this story, the cauldron is the keeper of Awen, of inspiration and knowledge. And if you've been listening to Not Work Storytelling for a while, you know that our material is most often immersed in the wisdom and lore of the next island over, in Ireland. And you may start to wonder that Awen sounds a lot like Imbus Ferocni, the inspiration that illuminates that was the secret gift of the Irish Druids. This episode, the final of our third season, is an invitation to sit around that cauldron of inspiration and look back on the remarkable stories and guests I've had with me over the last three months. We'll be looking forward to, and seeing as it's the week before Mother's Day in the U.S., Canada, Australia, and elsewhere, it seems right to tell the story of complicated mother love as well. Just a note, I will be name dropping with wild abandon in this episode, and the first name I'll be sure to include is Laura Murphy's. Laura joined us in season two to tell the story of the Irish goddess Bowen and her union with the good god Dagda. Now, when we began this season of Not Work at Imbolc time, we began with another complicated story of motherhood, with Laura's story, Bridget, Rebirth of the Mother. Both of Laura's stories are shot through with imbus ferocity, as it's imbus that flows through Laura's own veins. In the Irish tradition, imbus tends to bubble up from the ground, coming up from the other world at various holy wells. Now, I love the image of a sacred well, but as I said before, it's the cauldron that really calls to me when I'm holding space for creatives. And so I'd ask, who has a vision, a verse, a bit of something magical and renewed to add to the cauldron? That's the kind of question that invites and transforms. The cauldron, after all, is a symbol alive with water and fire. It invites us to remember the alchemists and their quest to transform metals and ultimately transform the soul. The whole vision of changing raw material of personal experience into a story that bursts with new light, or the way that it's possible to turn pain into poetry that acts as medicine for some beloved unknown reader or listener trying to move through their own great pain. It's no wonder that we love to play with the archetype of the alchemist when we're doing creative work. The alchemist speaks to the dual quest of seeking change within and sending those ripples far outside the self. 
we do in fact create art in hopes of healing the world. We work with myths and play with stories and write and write and write to nourish ourselves, to hold space for our own transformation, to nourish a reader and a listener and hold space for their transformation. The image of the cauldron offers folks a central focus, whether it's two people chatting about a story on a podcast or a group of writers or creatives coming together to explore ancient stories and create new ones. The cauldron gathers us together, even when we're scattered across the globe. The Heroine's Knot is the online program for creatives and lovers of myth that I offer a couple of times a year. That's where I get to ask this question, who would like to add to the cauldron each week? This round, our members zoom in from Australia, Kenya, Canada, and the U.S. In each session, I tell an old story, generally from Celtic mythology or Irish folklore, and invite everyone to play with it and wrestle with it and find all the elements that still inspire them today. The stories I choose tend to trouble the waters. And I use that phrase consciously. Mythology and folklore weren't crafted for mere entertainment. Most often, they were conceived to explain moments of change and disruption. If stories were wielded by folks in power to shift the public narrative, it was more often about securing the kingship and maligning their enemies. The stories weren't crafted to suit the tourist board. Mythology has always been about more than human drama, though. The stories were written to describe and remember natural disasters and the turning of the seasons, the movement of the animals and the creation of it all. I began this round of The Heroine's Knot, my community, with a story I shared in episode nine of this season of the podcast. It's the story of Césaire, the first person to set foot on Irish soil, according to the Book of Invasions and Luric of Alla Erin. It's also the story of the Great Flood. I called that episode, When Tides Rise, Build Your Own Boat, because that is exactly what Césaire did. When her grandfather Noah declined to leave space for herself and her parents on his ark, she and her community built three boats of their own. According to the story, the waters overtook Ireland as well, and Césaire didn't live more than 40 days on her new country. Now, it's a tough story to begin a group program called The Heroines Not With. A new world is discovered and destroyed, and the heroine right along with it. But then, when we come to these old stories for the deeper wisdom— we're not looking for the pretty storylines. We're in a moment of global climate change and a moment of great societal change, too. That's a lot of what my guest Carmen Schreffler and I discussed in the conversation that followed Césaire's story. And this story, as well as so many others, reminds us what many folks in spiritual circles say so often. The essence of life on this planet is about birth, death, and rebirth. It's about the great journeys that happen in between those stages, too, of course. In fact, just last week, Mari Kennedy and I dove deep into this birth, death, rebirth cycle and what it really means to make space for death within our nonstop culture. In episode 14, Mari offers us a soulful retelling of the Nile of the Nine Hostages story, which includes the famous scene where a kiss for the hag at the well transforms the crone into the shining sovereignty goddess. <laughs> Talk about a rebirth. In our conversation that follows the story, Mari and I explored the death-like experiences that happen in the midst of life. We talked about the way that we may feel we know that cycle of birth, death, rebirth so well. It's reflected in the entire Celtic wheel of the year, after all. We know this in the way we watch and follow the seasons. 
But it's still something else entirely to be with the reality of the fallow times, the hungry times, the times when we feel like the uninvited visitor of death has come to stay and disrupt all the best laid plans. Now, it was in my story that I told of Orin and the mill hag, the women who mourn the hero Sweeney, in an episode I called Two Worlds, Two Women, that we actually explore the pause that comes with death. In season two, I had told the story of a pagan king named Sweeney who attacked St. Ronan in his community and was cursed to wander Ireland for the rest of his days. It's a powerful, many-layered story, and I based my version on Seamus Heaney's verse translation of the medieval manuscript. But even then, I was most interested in two characters who I couldn't really give enough space to in a story that stuck to the facts of the original. And so I spent time this season exploring an imagined conversation the day after Sweeney's funeral. There's Sweeney's grieving wife, Orin, who mourns all that her husband left behind at home. And then there's the mill hag, a sort of trickster figure who celebrates Sweeney's wildness and all that's possible beyond the bounds of organized society and religion. I'm so grateful to my guest, Lorraine Van Tool, who helped me see this story through the lens of a psychologist whose work takes into account the entire spectrum of the mind-body-soul experience, as well as the all-encompassing magic of the natural world. Now, this theme of how we hold death in the midst of life, it has woven through the entire season, including Tara Wilde's story of the women of the Grail. Tara takes us to the court of the Fisher King, the wounded king whose realm has become a wasteland. This element of Arthurian legend has so much to teach us about what it means to live in balance with nature and to align our culture with the spirits of the land. Tara's story introduces us to Percival, the knight who grew up in the wilds, but who ended up the perfect embodiment of chivalric duty. He's trying so very hard to be good and noble, but his greatest sin? Resisting his own intrinsic powers of curiosity. Indeed. What will help us heal the environmental and social wasteland that we seem to have created? We're coping with everything from rising oceans to enduring wars to the erosion of reproductive rights to endemic gun violence. What's going to help, if not the courage to be curious about how to have the difficult conversations and reach new solutions together? And speaking of difficult conversations, Michael Newton who joined us in an episode called The Looks of the Scots Gaelic Language, is a wonderful partner when it comes to exploring topics that can feel really challenging. When he joined me in season one, Michael told us a story that beautifully challenged assumptions of gender roles in Scottish Highland culture. This time, we explore assumptions about race and identity when it comes to the Scots Gaelic language. Michael tells us stories from Turtle Island, from North America, about people of the First Nations and of African heritage who speak the language of small, faraway Scotland with fluency. We explore the ways that Gaelic and Celtic symbolism have been co-opted by white supremacist groups, particularly in the U.S. I still hear Michael's voice in my head. You're a meaningful member of the community when you participate and contribute, not just because of your name and ancestry. And yet, of course, names are powerful too especially when paired with a dedication to culture and scholarship. Kiva Nagilarna joined me to share stories of the Banshee from Irish folklore collection and from her family's own lore. She's a native Irish speaker living and teaching in New York City, and she does so much to bring the language and culture to those of us in the Irish diaspora, 
those of us so eager for a connection to an Irish heritage that feels like home, even from 3,000 miles away. I've also had two other brilliant colleagues come sit with me to explore two other stories from Irish mythology. Author and creative community founder Bethany Hegedus joined me to think about the balance of art, love, and family with the tragic romance of Leoden and Curacher. And therapist and coach Lee Shea McDonough joined me for my retelling of the story of Queen Maeve and her husband, King Alil, and that faithful bedtime chat, the pillow talk session, that led to a war that ravaged across so much of Ireland. Both stories gave us space to think about the balance of partnership and personal passion, commitment and the call to live lives more wild and free. We had two storytellers from the island next door to Ireland join us too. Mitlay Southie brought us the story of the buried moon from the fens of East Anglia. This is a story that is essentially about the power of community. And there's no one better than Mitlay to discuss such topics. Mitlay is the founder of The Circle School, and she does such deep work around what it means to wisely and ethically create groups and circles. And then we had Katie Swift come to tell us her story of Bride and the Kalyak. It's a tale deeply rooted in the Scottish seasons. After spending much time exploring the Irish understanding of the Kalyak and Bridget, who has much in common with Bride, but is still rather distinct, I'm so grateful to have been able to bring this tradition to not work storytelling at last. Katie's open heart and sensitive storytelling are just a beauty to behold. And then there are always a few episodes that call us beyond Knotwork's usual Irish and Celtic concentration. My friend Owen King just released a novel called The Curator, and we dove into what it means to create a mythos for an entirely new world. His wife, Kelly Braffitt, was on the show in the first season of Knotwork to talk about the world she built for her novel, The Buried Tower. So I'm thrilled to have brought the first husband and wife team to Knotwork. And this season, we also completed our first mother-daughter pair as well. Sophie Strand joined us in season two with her tale of Tristan and Isolde. Sophie continues to teach me so much about the true nature of myth and how the ancient stories are always about more than this human world. And this season, her mom, Perdita Finn, joined us with the episode we called Choosing the Mystery, the Rosary's Radical Feminine Heart. Perdita took us through the story of the rosary we probably never knew, taking it from the hands of the fundamentalists who have used the rosary practices to shame women. Instead, Perdita imbues the beads with their beautiful, original, wild, feminine power. And finally, there was that gorgeous story that artist, performer, and storyteller Diemal Rooney shared with us at the center of the season in episode seven. Dee is one of the many Irish sisters of the heart who I've been so blessed to get to know over the course of this knotwork Imram, this knotwork adventure. Dee, too, shares a love of the ancient and modern rosary magic. And it happens that Dee is often inspired to create art based on the work that Perdita and her husband Clark Strand do in relation to their ongoing work with The Way of the Rose, their book and their community that holds this renewed rosary practice. It's Dee's story, Driftwood Man, that really is a story of remembering, about taking back the parts of the self, the parts of the human and the more than human story that span millennia and continents and make up this beautiful, terrible, hope-filled, modern moment. I'll be carrying that story in my heart 
for a long, long time. And speaking of Irish sisters of the heart, there's another sister who embodies this sense of being at once essentially Irish and imbuing the work with a global resonance. And that's Kathy Scott of The Trailblazery. Now, it hasn't quite yet been time to have Kathy on the show to tell us a story, but her name has come up so many times in conversation. And I am so fortunate because I cannot think of a better way to celebrate the close of this season of the podcast than with a trip to go see Kathy in New York City this very weekend. She is bringing the magic that she weaves into Skolskarta, the online hedge school that shares Irish language and culture with folks from around the globe. Phelina Gaelga is this Saturday, May 13th, at the Irish Arts Center in Manhattan. Here's a taste of what's in store in Kathy's own words. In Ireland, the ancients mapped the seasons and cycles of the cosmos with ritual and celebration. On the great wheel of the year, Bealtaine marks the transition from darkness to light. Bael, mouth, tina, fire. Bealtaine is a festival of fire and fertility, aliveness and wildness, brightening and blossoming. A feast for the senses. Gather with us for Fela Negelga, an annual day of cultural exploration and kinship, live at the Irish Arts Centre in New York this May. With bilingual workshops, poetry, film, music and guided practices, all inspired by the season of Bialtina. Be an Einachtlin. Join us. So for me, on the other side of that Manhattan trip, that Bialtina journey, is Mother's Day which is always a bittersweet moment for me. It's the 13th time I've had to mark the holiday without my own mom. But I'm deeply grateful to say that after I get back from the city and we watch my older daughter's soccer game, we're all going to begin planting the vegetable garden we've painstakingly built over the last couple of weeks. Now, we call our little piece of the Hudson Valley the Burren, after the gorgeous rocky land of County Clare. It's a charming enough name until you actually try to dig anything. I am grateful to know that my marriage is strong enough to find ways to laugh together as we wield crowbars and shovels to move boulders and a few thousand pounds of topsoil. Though my husband Mike isn't much of a not work listener, it feels right to thank him for all the support of my work and my crazy production schedule. The whole family knows well that they need to give me a little time and some space when I say, yeah, but I have one quick podcast thing to do first. <laughs> so now that this season of not work's over, I am ready for a good long rest, or as much rest as you get when you're putting in a brand new garden and still have a business to run and a busy family to raise. But I'm excited to pause this relentless production schedule for a good few months and come back renewed. We shall see whether we come back in August or in September. I've learned a great deal about creative overcommitment in these last months, and I am dedicated to finding more balance and flow in the seasons to come. It's going to be better for all of us, I promise. But in the meantime, stay tuned. I am hoping to have a little something coming out before Not Work returns. There's no set announcement yet, and fingers crossed it all comes together. But between you and me, here's a hint. Audiobook. <laughs> we shall see. 
I want to be sure that you know I do plan on keeping up with my Substack newsletter, Myth is Medicine, in between seasons. I'm going to continue to explore all the ways that these stories from the past are maps for the present and future. Your support on that platform for as little as $8 per month really does mean the world to me. And it will enable me to keep the show going and pay my amazing team. Laura, my editor extraordinaire, and Alain, my fabulous assistant, I couldn't do it without these women. And I can't keep doing this without your help. Before we close out, just a couple quick notes about working with me moving forward, if you're interested. I spoke a lot about my group program, The Heroine's Knot, at the start of the show. This summer, I'm going to be focusing on individual writing coaching clients rather than starting a new community program. But make sure you've signed up for my newsletter, Myth is Medicine, over on Substack to hear when I'll be offering the next round of The Heroine's Knot and other group programs for writers so you can join us around the cauldron. And if you are an aspiring author or an entrepreneur who wants to use the power of storytelling to write your book or build your business, let's chat. You can find all the details about my writing coaching services at my new website, writingcoachmarisa.com. Again, thank you for listening and supporting the show. Do find us on Substack at Myth is Medicine and do consider rating and reviewing the show on your preferred podcast platform. There are 45 episodes of Knotwork for folks to explore. Please share them. I look forward to greeting new listeners even during our break. Gathering around the cauldron with you, changing shape with each story each week is the greatest pleasure and privilege. Mila, Mila, Buikas. A thousand, thousand thank yous. Thank you for tuning in to the Not Work Storytelling Podcast. Please subscribe and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. And do share this episode with other lovers of myth and story. By the way, everyone is a lover of myth and story, even if they've forgotten. Creating this show is a labor of love. And your support will help me continue to craft and share stories through season three and beyond. Please consider becoming a paid subscriber over on Substack, where I'm writing and creating additional audio magic with my newsletter and content hub, Myth is Medicine. You can find out more about my writing, my book, our online creative community, The Heroine's Knot, as well as how to work with me as a coach at marisagowdy.com. Music on the show is by the wonderful Beth Sweeney and Billy Hardy, a Celtic fiddle and multi-instrumental duo based on Cape Cod, Massachusetts. The traditional reel we play at the start of the show is called The College Groves. Find out more about their music and shows at billyandbeth.com. Gratefully, I live, write, work, and record this podcast on the ancestral lands of the Muncie Lenape tribe, whose name means original people. <laughs>